Hey, Pronouncers, welcome back to the Printavo Pronouncers Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. Also very excited to have you back. Welcome back, Mr. Stephen Farrag out of Canvas Inc. What's We've up? got a really cool episode today. We've got the founder, uh, co-founder, I'm sorry, of Swag.com, Jeremy Parker. Before we jump into that, of which Custom Inc. just bought them for an undic- undisclosed, my guess is eight or nine figure sum, and the scaling of that to hit, well, let me let him tell a story because it's pretty crazy as to far as what they did as a shop and using technology to enable the growth. Okay, but first up, we've got some awesome sponsors to do a quick chat about because they're great and you should try them out if you're needing a service from them. First up, Multicraft. Bruce, do you know who Multicraft underscore daddy is? Who that? If you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years have been providing you with top brands at competitive prices. Mention the Printava podcast and receive an extra 10% off your, your order. If you're in one of those cold states, it's going to start getting cold. Make sure you get your supplies because uh, some don't ship well when they freeze. And so call Multicraft if you need anything. Thanks, Dave Eggers and the team at Multicraft. Thank you, Dave. Next up, EasyWay. You shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. EasyWay's line of environmentally conscious chemical. I feel like people need to be saying this along with me at the same time. Easy Ways line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster and more efficiently, but also cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. It's a jingle. <laughs> There's a little bit of a tongue twister at the end. You need to you need to play the ukulele while you say that. Yeah, maybe I'll try to make a song. Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer uh, made by screen printers for screen printers. Supercolor understands firsthand the pressure and expectations of the screen printing business. That's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. We use Supercolor in our shop every single day. Transfers have transformed our business and Rum and the team at Supercolor have been a big part of that. Experience them for yourself using promo code PRINTAVO15 and get 15% off your order. My uh, my Siri notification always goes off when I say, say Supercolor. Does that happen here? Hey, Supercolor. <laughs> hey, Supercolor. Order me some transfers. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last but not least, GraphX Source. If you need a solution to help improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, check out GraphX Source. They're used by a lot of different shops across the industry to help manage production art. That includes separations, mock-ups, uh, creative work. I was actually just reaching out to them on some stuff, uh, order management, uh, digitizing. So they've got it all there. And a lot of shops use them to plug into their Printavo account or plug into whatever shop management tool they're using to be able to get the art, set it, re-upload it, get mock-ups done, send it off, do all that good stuff. Hit them up at graphxsource.com for your art staffing needs. Make sure to mention the Printavo pod for 50% off your first order. Vector, separation, embroidery, anything. Thanks, They've guys. also got some back office, this new thing where you can get admins too. So we're trying that out right now and uh, we're super excited. Thanks, Grafx. 1900hotstuff.com. There's your, there's your, there's your plug. <laughs> Wait, what is the back office thing? I didn't know about so that. So they, they also have like a team of VAs that are able to help you as a call center um, or just like customer support entering in orders, just data entry, things like that. So 
Um, they have an awesome team there. We're actually trying it out right now. So I will have to let everyone know how it goes mm, for customer service or, uh, yeah, just like for admin, like building online stores, just, oh, okay. just as we start to get busier, if there's those tasks that you can offload, um, VAs are great. VAs the are great. Fall. Good VAs are awesome. What? Q3 for Canvas Inc. Did school start again? When did <sighs> school, school started? Start? Yeah, school's starting this week. All of our deliveries start going out. So you just slammed. Everything will, everything will be on fire until December 15th. Good That's fire. Good fire. Green fire or black fire? Oh, yeah. I, th- I think uh, 60, 65%, per- 65% of our revenue comes from Q3, Q4. So we, we are, you know, just getting super ready for it and positioned, um, hiring as fast as we can. We're starting to launch our school solutions every week and that's been fun. So, um, we've got these NIL platforms coming out for different colleges across the campus or across the country. Um, so that's going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks, which will be really interesting. Hmm. How do you manage the financial influx of that? So, you know, with so much revenue coming from right now and then slowing down later, but your payroll, I'm guessing, is similar across the year. You pray, um, <laughs> close your eyes and hope for the best. Uh, no, we, we utilize like, uh, you know, you've, what's interesting is like we're super D to C heavy in, in the fall. Which, is, which makes us super cash flow positive. And then we get tons of POs over the summer, which drains us out. Um, and so we utilize like lines of credit and make sure that we're, we're balanced and stuff like that. Um, July never feels good, but like once August 15th, 20th hits, it's like, okay, we're over the hump for the year. So, um, you know, we kind of have benchmarks that we need to hit of, hey, you know, if this is going to be a, a slower month, we need to make sure we're at least doing this much in revenue um, to, to cover our costs and stuff. So, uh, some months you burn some, some months you make, it's just part of, part of it. Toys R Us does it one month a year. I don't think that's for them. No, their, their biggest month in sales is like November 25th to December 25th. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. For prep. Too. Yeah. I thought it was just December. While we wait for Jeremy to join us, is there uh is there any updates you can share? Publicly, I don't know what what you can share on your your fundraising journey. We are raising some capital right now. It's going pretty well. It's been a journey. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll wait for the press release. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there's there's a lot of noise happening. Um, Jeremy's actually been super helpful with me, actually, oh. uh, which is pretty cool. And and swag.com and how they did it as well. Um, He's been just a wealth of knowledge because he's been there's not a lot of not a lot of printers that have been down the VC route. Um, and so just chatting, chatting with them on on different things. And hey, is this is OK? Is this bad? What do you think? What are your thoughts here? Um, Walker from Teespring just met with him yesterday again. So we have a, we have a circle now. Really? Uh, get on the, is it gotta, no, we don't. We don't have a circle. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's super helpful because it's like they've been down that path before they've been they have the battle scars, you know, it's kind of like, um, the WeWork founder just raised $350 million yesterday from, I from Andreessen Horowitz. And everyone's like, he's crazy. It's like, well, he's been down the block before. Um, did you watch we crash Bruce? I did. I'll be honest. It made me feel a little bit weird going into a WeWork for a bit, but I, I, I listened to some good interviews, um, actually yesterday with him. 
Um, Me too. And he's he's a, oh, did you really? Did you okay? Yeah. So it was the one with the guy on CNBC. Um, mm-hmm. So all right, fact. perfect. So yeah, so that's so funny. Yeah, so I I watched that and uh, I think there's two things. One, he's a really good salesman, and then but two. You know, there were points of the business where things just shifted. They were totally spending on growth and they wanted to grow at all costs. And that was a focus. And then all of a sudden the focus is we need to be profitable. We're spending too much and it's getting reckless. And then, you know, you're not the person for it. Um, It will be interesting what happens with this new business, but he's definitely done it before. I mean, he he grew something to $3.5 billion in like, I don't even know how long it took him. Um, But people are either like hyper growth minded or like profit minded. It's hard to find people that are both. Um, And it's like, could he have, if he could have just throttled back at the right time, um, could he have, could, could have, could there have been a much better outcome from it? Um, Bruce, we you were in a WeWork for a minute. I was like, we were office nomads. We were in a WeWork. We were in this other co-working space. We were in a lot of them. You had you had print hustlers. The first print hustlers was in a WeWork. Was in a WeWork, yeah. It was cool once you were in there, and you're like, okay, I'm over it. <laughs> it's the, they have really nice amenities, and I think also if you need a space as somebody to get out of wherever your shop is, or your offices, or your houses. It's a really nice location. I feel like when I shake it up and I go work at, at a space like that, I'm just like, Super I could put in maybe six, seven hours, but they're this most productive six and seven hours that are worth 10 to 12, you know, at, at, in, in I, a I, workplace environment. I, th- I think unfortunately what happened though is like once we work, like he revolutionized shared workspace, right? Um, so like he did that zero to one there, but then he made the barrier to entry to starting up a shared workspace super easy. So then you saw like everyone else having shared workspaces. I remember like Googling in Chicago, there was like every other office that couldn't lease out space became a shared workspace and you could like negotiate and get like two months free here and, um, a free membership there. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then COVID really like, that was a come to Jesus. I feel like for the shared workspaces for sure. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. I know you're super busy. No, thanks for having me. This is great. Great to connect with other people in the in the industry. And obviously, I know Stephen. We met once briefly. Um, yeah. Is this the first time we're meeting? Yeah. So I always chit-chatted randomly with your partner, Josh. Okay, cool. And um, because I met Josh when we were in Chicago at this co-working space, oddly enough, called 1871. Oh, I was there too. I was there. Techstars. Oh, okay. So you both are working on there. Yeah. So I remember they were like, Hey, you guys are doing like t-shirts and these guys are doing t-shirts. You should meet. And, and so then he came down and we just chit chat and it was like, all right, cool. You know, we'll keep in touch. And I, I don't think it was until later where it was like, Hey, um, how, how do you handle like hiring a manager for this? Or how, how what yep. are you doing? You know, like everybody's so busy in the beginning, just, just, doing everything exactly so that's how we then kept in touch and and um so when custom inc acquired swag.com uh you know we were going through our deal too and so that was a interesting you know time to compare notes as well but uh how how was how was your process with the whole thing with acquisition um it you know that's it's 
anybody I think that sold their business or shop or anything, it could either be very lightweight if it's just like a friend or family or, or something like that. Um, but you know, it was definitely very intense. Um, it was a very intense four months and the due diligence was a lot. Um, I mean, it was just, and I know Steven's laughing cause he's going through that basically the same, you know, selling a part of the business sucks. For investment, but it's, it's a lot and it makes sense though. Right. If you know, somebody's writing you a check, they want to know what they're giving it to, but yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, us, it was even worse. Honestly, I mean, it was like over a year period. It was like four months of diligence Jeez. once we signed the LOI, but it took us almost a full year to get to the LOI, to get to any sort of price that made sense for us. You know, honestly. Wow. And LOI for, for folks, because uh, I didn't know this before, this is letter of intent. And it's basically the first letter saying, hey, we're both parties are interested. We will be exclusive. We're not going to see anybody else. Not going to go on any any other dates, <laughs> yep. and dedicate time to this. So, yep. And for us, it was great. I mean, like we like Custom Inc. a lot. The people at Custom Inc. are great. So it wasn't like a such a heavy lift to have a lot of conversations. But when you're thinking about selling a business, it's a big, it's emotional. You know, it's, you're building a business for six years. It's an emotional thing to even think about. It's now going to not be owned by us. It's going to be owned by a different company. So it's a long time to have to kind of constantly think about: Is this the right thing? Should we be doing this? Um, and that was kind of our biggest thing. Like when we sold the year before, we were never thinking about selling. That's really the truth. Custom Inc. reached out to us. It became, the more we got to know them, the more we felt like it was the right fit ultimately. But it was, it's not like an easy choice to, to decide to sell a company, at least for, for us. Jeremy, alone. Jeremy, how many times did you think the deal was not going to go through? Um, <laughs> probably a, a good three times. There's a good three times I remember like either something that we did, we messed up and Obviously, nothing intentional. We we sent something that maybe wasn't complete without doing, you know, looking over like, wow, we just messed that up. There's definitely times. And also, when you're selling a business, especially when it's going over a year, a little bit over a year period, the thought process is you have to obviously continue the growth of the business, right? That's like, that's the biggest killer of any deal is if things in the business materially change. So we're not just having to deal with, you know, tons of conversations and the emotional weight of like, are we really going to sell this business? But we also have to lead a team and grow a team and show growth. There's just, it's like three or four jobs at the same time. Um, you add on top of that, a recession, COVID, you know, it is like, a, it was like a, a million different things. Everyone's working remotely. I'm working in my apartment by myself every single day. It gets very, pretty, pretty heavy. I'm, I was just talking to my sister last night, uh, cause we're in the middle of our raise right now. And I, I forward Jeremy emails all the time. Like, is this bad? Is this good? I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but like, she's like, how are you running the business? And I'm like, well, you're not, uh, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like 5am to 8am working on due diligence docs, getting over models, you know, putting out fires during the day. And then once like the dust settles, it's like back on the grind to send out more emails and, and it's, it's definitely taxing. Um, it's definitely, but I have to say like, it's super rewarding when you get the yes, right? Like someone wants to give you something like that's life changing to you and you earned it because you put in that, that time. Okay. Can we, can we backtrack for a second? So Jeremy, you emailed Mark Cuban before I did, uh, yep. which was like 13 years ago. Um, or you talk to him, tell us about that because I think that story is, um, cooler than mine. I don't know if it's cooler. So I was a, um, kind of take a step back. I used to be a documentary filmmaker in college and really, I didn't know that. I, 
I was a, yeah. And I won the Vail Film Festival when I was about 19 years old. So this big film festival, huge Is film festival. Is the film still on YouTube? You know what? It probably should be. And if it's not, I should get it on. It's like an hour and a half documentary. I think at YouTube 13 years ago, you weren't able to you upload could, you, big you, files. You can't upload that. <laughs> yeah. I think now you probably could. You definitely could. So I, I should probably get it on there. But I was on this like top of the mountain in Vail, Colorado. And I looked at half the room where these major celebrities that everyone's heard of and half the room were these more struggling artists. And I did like an internal gut check to myself. And I said, number one, am I that good? And number two, do I really love it? And both answers were no. It was kind of like the most clear I've ever been in my life. And it was kind of weird when you're coming off of this high of winning this award and, you know, giving a speech in front of the, you know, 500 plus people. And then to instantly know the next day that this was not the right career path for me. It was kind of like a weird thing. But when I graduated college, I had no experience whatsoever in business. I didn't frankly have any experience besides film. So I started my first t-shirt company when I was 22 years old called Tees and Tats. Horrible name. But basically, it was like high-end tattoo apparel t-shirts. This is like during the time of Ed Hardy, if you guys remember that. And my t-shirts cost like $300. And for me, I wasn't super into fashion, but I wanted to know what I was good at or what I enjoyed. So I thought a t-shirt company, I'll learn how to build an e-commerce site. And this is pre-Shopify days. So you really had to like figure out how to build everything. It was very complicated. I had to figure out how to manufacture and PR and marketing and all these different aspects of business just to figure out what I was good at. Um, And I launched the business in 2007 three months before the recession hit. Now, I don't know how old you guys are, but 2007 was a very scary time where like Morgan Stanley went under and all these banks, not Morgan Stanley, but like Lehman Brothers, like all these banks went under and the market was crashing. And early in my entrepreneurial days, I was reading Blog Maverick by Mark Cuban because I had no, I didn't know anybody who was really an entrepreneur. I want to like learn from other entrepreneurs, especially famous entrepreneurs. Blog. Yep. And I wrote to Mark Cuban, it's kind of a crazy story, that I came up with a market-related pricing model, a little bit gimmicky, but we tied the prices of our shirts to the price of the Dow Jones. So for every 100 points the Dow drop, we would give people a discount on their T-shirt price. So it's basically like a way to cover yourself if things really hit shit hits the fan. And I wrote to Mark, and within 10 minutes, he wrote back to me, says, hey, do you mind if I post your note to me on my blog? And it was a really cool thing because he wanted to show like – um, innovation and entrepreneurship and don't let it die. Like everybody was very terrified of everything. Everything's falling off the, the world. And he wrote about me and that kind of set me, frankly, on a path where swag is here today because it's very weird where Mark Cuban wrote about me. It got written by the CEO of MV Sport, one of the largest players in the promotional product space. I met that Ellie Pizer from MV Sport. We hit it off and I really got to learn the industries, the ins and outs of the industry um, which fast forward 10 years later, when I started swag.com, a lot of the learnings that I learned back then about how broken the industry was, and how fragmented and old, I took that to readapt it and reimagine it for what we built swag.com into. So it's basically understanding that 10, 12 years ago, the office manager was a 40, 50 year old office manager, a lot of back and forth emails, a lot of presentations to close sales. The new buyer, today's buyer is a millennial. How do you give them a better experience that's really the right experience for them? And if anyone goes on YouTube and um, I think you search your tech stars pitch yep. for swag.com, um, which I've watched several times be- because I go and pitch and and it's really fucking good. Uh, but before that, you were at MV Sports. What did you do there? How long were you there? Tell us about that experience. Yeah, I have, a, I guess, a, a wide variety of entrepreneurial endeavors, some good, some bad. But I, I ran a company under MV Sport for almost three years and it was called Vote for Art. It's actually somewhat in the similar space to you, Stephen. Different, very different, but it's, it's similar where we did collegiate licensed apparel. 
Um, and we would sell to bookstores. And Envy Sports really big in bookstores. So what we did is we want to reimagine the school's logo. So I partnered up with like Purdue University, University of Indiana, Tennessee, all these different schools. And they would do design contests at the university where students would reimagine the logo, design it, vote on it. And then the winning design would sell at the bookstore, the basketball stadium, et cetera, on apparel. And I did it for about three years, a lot of different licensed things. But really, at the time, I was learning a lot about the overall promotional industry and, and how things were broken, how it's kind of how they even just make T-shirts, how to make products, how to do all these different things. After I did that for three years, I joined my brother. He had a company called Tipped Media. And basically, it was a really exciting thing for me where he got so early. He was like in the Wild West. You know, take yourself back to like tw- eight, nine, ten years ago is pre-Instagram. Twitter, like Pitbull on Twitter had like 4,000 followers. Now he has, what, 40 million. All these guys were making no money on social media because social media didn't really, really exist. And all the YouTube stars that were getting tens and 20s and 30 million views, they were living in their parents' basement. So my brother had this idea of what if he did product placement for YouTube videos? Now, obviously, Kylie Jenner, Kendall they're making millions of dollars a post on Instagram. But back then, these YouTube stars who were these online influencers were making no money. So what we did is we partnered up with State Farm, Colgate, Verizon, and got these YouTube stars a lot of money. You can still look up a lot of these videos. Like Wonderful Pistachios we work with, and they did a video with a Guitar, guitar Man, his name was, or um, Annoying Orange. You know, like these old YouTube kind of – you can type in Annoying Orange Pistachios after this podcast. It's like <laughs> 7 million views we got for uh, Wonderful Pistachios. Once we start building that company into a real thing, we ended up partnering with a guy named Jesse Itzler. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jesse Itzler. He uh, co-founded Marquee Jet, private jet company. Uh, he co-founded Zico Coconut Water. His wife is Sarah Blakely. She founded Spanx. He's one of the gotcha. owners of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, we ended up meeting him because we had this idea of if this works really for the YouTube stars, what if this could work for all the major celebrities? So we started signing up contracts with Jesse with major celebrities that you've all heard of and basically owned their social presence before they knew that it was valuable. And frankly, it was like buying, I'm not gonna say the names, but we bought celebrities like Twitter followers when they had 10,000 followers and you know they didn't realize the power of that and they could only do deals and sponsor posts through us. We became like their de facto agent representative. What, what, what happened to that company, Jeremy? The company got acquired seven months later. So it was like the quickest acquisition. Um, can, we sold can you, it. Can you, can you say what it was? Yeah. We sold it for a little over 2 million when I was 25 wow. years old um, to a publicly traded company. This guy, um, I can't say, I can't say a lot of things. I'm not allowed to say a lot of things, but basically there's a publicly traded company, a big media mogul ended up buying it. And it was one of these bittersweet moments where I was pretty much living in my parents' house as a 25 year old struggling entrepreneur. And then you make, you know, you make enough money to give yourself some flexibility and breathing room. But I believe we probably sold way too short. Like we just kept going and signing up all these contracts. I mean, if you look at today's market, that's that should be worth hundreds of millions of dollars if you owned all these major celebrities. So ultimately, it was probably the worst deal for us, but it was the right thing for me personally at the time. You know, I guess you never know I, when I, the right time to sell is. I mean, being 25 and someone saying, hey, <laughs> yeah. what you build is worth $2 million, like, eh, okay, uh, yeah. we, can, we can mess with that. It's hard, I, hard I, to hindsight that one. I, I think like the early hustle and what I'm like hearing, and this is just, I mean, Bruce was selling t-shirts outside the stadium, Illinois, illegally and stuff like. Whoa. But like you try to decentralize your sales by finding bigger people to sell for you. Right. And it's like, okay. Like when you're starting swag.com, you, you, you started freaking DMing. What, what were you doing 
to try and make your business appear bigger than it was? Because I think this is this is hilarious. And I'll tell you, I guess like even before that, so just a little quick, I don't want to gloss over the failures because there were, there were failures. Oh, After yeah. we sold Tipped, um, I built an app called Vouch, social networking app, um, was basically democratizing Oprah's favorite things for everyone. So you can follow <laughs> celebrities and see what they actually like. And I thought I was riding high. I was 25 years old. I just came off this big win. I'm thinking, why not attack Facebook and build a, a Facebook competitor, right? My idea, the idea was very, I guess, I think it's a good idea. I think the execution, we, we were flawed, somewhat flawed on. But if you look at Facebook, all the, all the big social networking apps took a piece of Facebook and made a dedicated experience from it. So like Instagram took the pictures and, you know, um, Snapchat took the poke and Twitter took the status update and all these different things. And what we felt like, and it's the truth, is that the like button is the most monetizable aspect of Facebook, but no one's really built a great experience around the like button. If you own what people like, you know exactly what they're interested in. You know exactly how to advertise them. Hmm. So we call this thing called vouch where you can vouch for your favorite things. It's more than a like button. You're really putting your stamp of approval on it. We had all these celebrity partners. We had over 100,000 plus users. It was growing. We were listed as one of the top 10 apps in the App Store and the Apple App Store. All the kind of like bullshit things that are good, but you really need every single day people to be living and breathing it and using it for a social networking app to really take off. So we spent about two and a half years on this and it never got to that place where um, where it actually could make real money. That was the truth. And after we closed that down, I wanted my next business because it's, it's – listen, if you have a failure, it's exhausting. Because like you, you work the same amount when you have a success that you do as a failure. The only difference is like how it ends. But like the actual work and the stress Dude. and the day-to-day problems. Did you it, blow all your money on that? Or like did um, you raise money for it? We raised a little bit of money and I blew I – blew, I guess I blew – not I blew probably half of my money. Yeah. And that was a separate thing. But even more than just the loss of money, it's like the emotional drain. Like when you become – when you're a founder of a startup, it becomes your life. It's all you talk about. It's all you think about. It's like it's everything. So you're going to put all that effort in something and it doesn't work out. It's just – it's like how do you how do you get back up? But – the next morning, I remember this. My friend always busts me on this. He's like, I don't know how you do it. I woke up the next morning and I'm like, I have a new idea. It was like instantaneous. And it was like, there was no chill. My friend's like, just chill out, take a month off, relax, you know, lick your wounds. I, I had swag legitimately like right after that. And I, and with swag, it just made, it was, it was taking everything I learned from the bad experience with vouch and what I messed up on. I messed up on several things. Number one, I spent a year building the platform before getting it out into the public. I, I would say that's the biggest issue. You should mm. get things out the door instantaneously because all the things I lost sleep over when building Vouch that I thought was going to be the make or break feature, when we launched it, customers didn't give a shit, right? Like they got the app and they're like, oh, it's these other things that we really liked, not the stuff that you cared about. If we launched something really soon, we could have learned so much more what our customers really wanted and adapted and pivoted and made it better. And we just didn't give ourselves the time to do it. We burned through a lot of money in order to make it perfect, quote unquote perfect, but it was perfect for us, but it wasn't perfect for who our customers were. Right? Bruce, you you did that at Printavo where you would just like push features, but then you didn't when when something stuck, you're like, Oh, wow, I didn't know that was like the most loved feature. Remember that with like was it automations? What was it? Um, a, a lot of it was super iterative. I mean, it still is. It's just like a lot bigger, so it's slower to to like iterate on because it touches so many different things. But for sure, for the early days, like same same thing as you, Jeremy. It was just push and push um, to to make it better. It it kind of sounds like like are you do do you feel like you're like did you enjoy or, or were passionate about these different areas or did you do it because you 
like I, it seems like there's two entrepreneurs sometimes. There's like one that's just, I feel like this is an opportunity that we can make money on and it doesn't really matter what space it is. And I love, you know, apparel, for example. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to make anything apparel I'm in and then the money will come mm-hmm. uh, and I'll figure that out. Like wh- which side are you? Uh, I think I, I was both over the course of my 10 year career or 12 year career. Uh, I think when I've been successful, it was the things I actually enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. Like swag, I, I frankly love swag, and I think it's a very powerful marketing channel if done right. Um, I also love building brands, so it was like combining all my passions. And when Vouch failed, it was like, well, I know I like to build products. So I'm, I feel like I'm good at that, and I enjoy it. I like to build brands, and I also love this industry. That's why I got back into it after being out of it for ten years. I got wasn't it. super in love with you know YouTube promote you know. Um, product placement. That wasn't like, I mean, that was not, that was more opportunistic. We saw there was a real need and we dove in there and we kind of bought up rights and then we able to flip that vouch. I wasn't super passionate about building a social networking app. I thought there was an opportunity. I thought we had a lot of um, good celebrity partners. We had a lot of, you know, we, we had a good idea, but I think ultimately when those things, I had one success and then one failure. And I realized, well, if I'm going to spend the next seven, 10 years of my life on something, I have to really enjoy it. So I went back to the swag space. I, I think what happens though, every time you fail, like we were just talking before you came on, Jeremy, about the whole WeWork thing and like him raising $350 million and, and all that. Like when you build for a second time after failure, you build with clarity mm-hmm. uh, and you build like with precision and you don't waste time and you, you, you like cut through so much friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's really interesting to hear what happened, like, by the time you're 30, you're already on your third, fourth company. Mm-hmm. And do, do you give like a lot of, a lot of the success of swag to the experiences you had oh, messing 100%, up in the past? hundred percent. You know, people always say like, wow, that was so quick. You know, we, we started swag when I was 30 and we sold it when I was just turned like 37, 36. Right. I was like, and be like, that's so quick. But really as an entrepreneur, you have to like look at all the previous success and failures. And it's like, it's really more like a 16 year process to get to where we are today. It's not an overnight success because everything I learned from those previous experiences made swag that much better. I mean, like when we started swag, I had a landing page. It said, you know, coming soon swag.com. And our first idea was just to get those row of logos, those blue chip logos, because we wanted to appear like we were a lot bigger. So we legitimately got a meeting um, with a friend of ours who worked at Facebook and we went into the office at Facebook and you know, like there's like, imagine like a WeWork or any office, there's, there's opening, there's open conference rooms. So we literally went into a conference room and laid out all of like these swag samples. You know, we didn't ask permission and a lot of people were walking by in the Facebook office and they're saying, what do you guys do? Oh, we sell swag. It became like, everyone just assumed somebody else gave the permission. We didn't even think of it. We didn't even like <laughs> ask for permission. We just did it. And, and are these we- just promo products that you got yeah, from like ASI product, show? Like- Exactly. Like anything like that. It's like the, the high quality ones that we wanted because a big part of swag is curation of only offering stuff people actually want to keep. So we went in there with even a, a more curated offering, like 10 mugs and 10 water bottles and a couple of t-shirts. And it happened that first day, somebody walked by the office, the, the, the conference room and said, oh yeah, I need some t-shirts. And we did it for like 5% margin. Like it didn't matter about how much money we make. We just wanted that Facebook logo. It was like we were logo hunters, Josh and I, when we would show up at offices, the next day we literally went to WeWork and they asked us who else we work with, and we said Facebook. And they just assumed we had you know, hundreds of other customers, but really it was just Facebook. And we just repeated this the cycle. The ultimate, uh, 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 what do you call it when you're knocking on doors? 
we were we were door 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 to salesman 100%. We went to Bravo yeah. TV. Door I mean, door. in the early days, we would just and sometimes we would just show up unannounced. Wait, so like, did you did you just you just walked in and then set it up on the tables? Yeah, so we had a friend who worked at Facebook. So you know like at Facebook offices, any of these big tech companies, you could just easily go to lunch there all the time. Like like uh-huh. they can invite whoever they want to their lunch, right? So we had lunch with a friend and then after lunch we set up the room. And in like a department's like, "Oh shoot, we need some stuff for." Yeah. There was this girl who I remember walked by. I'm trying to take, to remember exactly what happened. This girl walked by and I think she needed 300 t-shirts. So we're opening up a new floor. It's like the new office of Facebook right when they opened. Um, I have this shirt actually framed in our current office in New York City because our first t-shirt and it was like a thumbs up, a Facebook thumbs up. And it was like this cool t-shirt. And it was just kind of like one of these things like it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. And like we work with say, who do you work with? Facebook. And then we did the WeWork summer camp. I don't know if you guys know that we were summer camps yeah, like we're thousand just, t-shirts, and we won that deal. And I, we, we probably lost, I mean, we definitely lost money overall, but we made like a 5% margin on the products because we were undercutting everybody and we had no staff. So we had legitimately my entire family, my aunts, my grandma, uncles, sister, brother, rolling the t-shirts because we had to roll the t-shirts every single one. We didn't have any experience. It's like the third week of business. And we drove it down to the campground of four hours. So Josh and I rented the U-Haul van and we drove it. So we didn't even factor any of these extra costs. Like we didn't think about the U-Haul. We didn't think about the four hours of my family rolling t-shirts. We just, we just wanted to get it out there. And for us, it was so important because every t-shirt says swag.com on the inner label. So all of our customers are basically doing the promotion for us. You know, you think about buying like a pair of jeans. It looks on the, cool on the outside or so inside? You, you, on the inside label. label. Yeah, so you label. private tagged everything. Who did you, just, did you just find a, a local printer to print for you, or how did you do it? Exactly. You didn't print yourself. No, absolutely not. No, the first, the first early days was finding local. Yeah, we Smart. we had nothing. It was just me, me and my co-founder Josh, who Bruce, you met, literally just hustling like crazy and just learning as much as we could, and 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 treating the first sales really as a learning experience to build the right platform. So we didn't build anything. Like that's what I also learned from the failure of Vouch. Like I built from day one trying to build the right feature set. And I didn't know what the right feature set because I was I was cocooned in my own mind. But with with, with swag, we learned from the customers because we were speaking to them on a day to day basis. Literally, we spoke to five hundred plus potential customers, and we learned not only who are the right companies to target, but who are the right buyers within the companies and what experience do they want. And and so I think what's wild is your first two customers were Facebook and WeWork. You didn't yeah. print a single thing. You didn't care about making money. Yeah. You also bought swag.com. Yep. How much you spend on that? um, We worked out a crazy kind of deal, frankly. It's um, kind of interesting. We didn't have the money to spend um, on the domain name, but we knew how valuable the domain was. From the very beginning, the idea was I wanted to turn offline conversations to online purchasing. So what does that mean? I want when somebody's talking about the idea of buying swag, I want to trigger in their head to go to swag.com. Now, when you're selling a D2C product and you're selling like a pair of shoes and you're browsing Facebook, you could get the impulse purchase, but no one's impulse purchasing $5,000 worth of swag for their company. You have to have a specific event. You have to like onboard new hires. There's a trade show coming up. So, but you still need to get in front of these customers. So I wanted to get in front of them in the January, the February time. But when it comes to November, when they're buying for holidays, I wanted them to remember swag.com and they just type directly into the browser. So we needed that domain name. They were asking a little over a million dollars originally for the domain name. Obviously, we didn't have it. We ended up negotiating it down to 200,000. We still didn't have that at the time. And what we did is we worked out a deal with the owner where we would exclusively license it from him for a two-year period with the option to buy. 
at the, that $200,000 price. So it was, a, it was a, a win-win for everybody. We were able to use the domain name from day one without actually having to put the money up. We gave this person some equity in this company hmm. that we were starting. If the company failed, the person would own the domain name back. I mean, he owned it. And, if the, and if the company succeeded, we would pay the person back and he would still have the, the extra equity in our company. So like six months later, we made enough sales that we could use some of that money and raise a little bit of money to buy the domain name out. So we owned it 100%. This was about six months later. So it was a way we were able to start, prove the concept, have the brand name, get all the SEO value. And then ultimately, we bought it about six months later to fully. I, I, I think what's... Go ahead, Bruce. What well, with say? the domain, do you, do you think that, um, that that's a huge form of legitimacy, Right. I mean, to see swag.com, you, you could be in your basement, but nobody knows that. And, and it looks legit to any type of company. We were legitimately you, in our basement. I'm not, no joke. <laughs> I mean, with, when Josh and I started the business, we started in Josh's or finished table basement. Room. Yeah. Oh, no. There was actually, it was, it was like a pool table. Josh had a, a, a nice apartment building and he had like a, a pool table room for like the community, for like the whole. God, he got to took over the shared space. Take over the shared space, but there was no tables except for the pool table. So we would buy samples and lay it on the pool table. But anytime like a 13 year old kid wants to play pool, we had to take it off. It was the biggest nightmare. It was like putting on the table, taking off the table back and forth uh, for the first about six months until we actually got a WeWork spot ourselves. But if you, that, if you started a new business, Mm -hmm. Uh, would you, would a first top tier domain, I'll call it mm -hmm. be, uh, mandatory? A hundred percent. I, I do think that the, that the seller of swag.com didn't realize the power. I don't, I think swag.com is an unreal domain name that probably should have been really worth over a million dollars easily because it defines an industry. Like people are calling promotional products swag nowadays. So it just, it, you think it just levels you up right away. Like it, yeah. It, it's, and and yeah. you go there and there's social proof with Facebook and Twitter, like, or Facebook right. and WeWork. Uh, like By I can't, way, when, we, when we went I, to WeWork, I, when we said we had Facebook as a customer, they assumed they heard of us. It, I couldn't tell you how many conversations people said, Oh, I know you guys. We just started literally 24 days prior. And they're saying that they've heard of us before. It's impossible. Did you have the swag.com you were releasing it then? Yeah, we, we launched swag.com, just a, a coming soon page, or like under construction. So people could go to the site and see the row of logos. And it, there was no website. We didn't build anything for the first eight months. We launched the first version of the e-commerce site a little over a year after we started. So I, we really I mean, learning. that's why I, I turned Campus Sportswear to Campus Inc. I can't buy campusinc.com. There's like a HVAC lady that owns it in like Nashville. And she just like ignores my calls. <laughs> um, but you don't know how many times people mistake us for custom ink on emails. Yep. I'm, I'll, I'll, I mean, sorry, Jeremy, it happens, <laughs> you know, but, but I'm like, yeah, we're not custom ink. Thanks for the compliment, but, uh, we'll take it anyways. Uh, but, but I think even now I think what's interesting is domain names have changed slightly since then, right? Like the com was super important. It's, it's becoming less important if you focus on obviously SEO and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like, that's the whole 1-800-GOT-JUNK thing. Like it's the same, like that social proof. I mean, when NIL crossed, I bought NIL.store, every NIL domain name I possibly could. Cause I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Bruce, do you, do you, do you hunt domains still? I've got a what's lot go in this industry. What's your, what's your GoDaddy? Uh, what's your GoDaddy look like? It's deep. What's your name? It's cheap? deep. It's deep. Um, yeah. I mean, mainly because this space hasn't been tapped with people buying domains, but like things like, um, you know, screen printing class, screen print education, um, mm -hmm. like pretty niche stuff. Not, not as, you know, as a four letter domain that, that mm -hmm. that's really difficult, 
but very, very specific, uh, like online stores, you know, stuff like that for the space of depending on Jeremy, what do you think was more important though? Swag.com or having the social proof of those, of those two customers? I think it's all, and this is why I say it's like, there's not one thing that makes swag.com. It's not one thing that made swag.com successful. It's a lot of small things. It's a lot of learnings. I, I would even take it a step back even further. The initial idea for swag was going after the marketing teams. Just a high level. That was the initial idea. So when we, early days, we were trying to sell to marketing managers because our feeling was marketing managers have the biggest budgets. If you could prove an ROI on buying you, swag. Wait, I'm sorry, Jeremy. You were totally focused on corporate, it sounds like. 100% corporate, B2B. Okay. But okay. in the co- corporation, there's obviously 100 different types of buyers. There's the marketing teams, there's the sales teams, there's the HR, there's office managers. Who do you really go after from day one? You can't be everything to everybody. So our initial thought was, let's go after the marketing teams. But okay. in the early 100 or so conversations with marketing managers, we realized that everyone goes after the marketing team, right? They have the biggest budget. So everyone goes after them. How is Swag.com, a new company, going to compete with everybody? And what we realized through those early days is that the office manager is really the gateway into a company. They're the Trojan horse. If you sell to an office manager 100 t-shirts and every t-shirt to Swag.com, who's the office manager actually giving the products to? They're giving it internally. It's not external. They're giving it to the marketing team. They're giving it to the sales team. They're giving it to the HR team. It basically gets your brand into the company in a really streamlined way. So you sell, you don't have to sell a $100,000 order, you sell a $5,000 order, but that $5,000 order gets you the marketing team to now yeah. know about it. And have the or like group. EAs, executive yeah. assistants. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's super interesting. I think like targeting the right people in a company, some people don't do that when they're selling. I mean, you probably get pitched left and right, like from people cold calling you and you're like, you should not be talking to me about this. Like you need to be talking to like, and, and, and I think like prospecting and actually figuring out like who, who is going to get you to that person. Like we're doing it right now with NIL, you know, it's like we go to, you know, we don't go to the athletic director. We go to the NIL director director or we go to the co- the best college athlete sign them and then they take us to the NIL director and 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 that's literally like we're we're going to close a massive school a uh, massive basketball school and one of the players got it for us and it's just way, like that's exactly it it's like those are the learnings you have to like figure out a new way or a different way if everyone's doing it the same way you have to think of a different way that, and by the way that distinction of you not going to the athletic director and you going to maybe the, the, the player that distinction might literally make your business successful. That's like the difference between success and failure. You give everything the same way, but like that's the nuance of like doing one thing or a different thing could literally change the game. Like I, I fully believe if we didn't go for the, mark, the office manager from day one and we went to the marketing team, swag.com would not have been successful. We built the right platform for the office manager. We made it amazing for the office manager. And then we expanded to the marketing, the HR, the sales. Now everybody's using our site. But if we start from day one with marketing, I, I think... Everything could have been perfect. The swag.com name, the user experience, it wouldn't have really worked. So I, I think you really got to figure out so, who the right So Jeremy, you went through like Techstars, like an incubator kind of thing. You yeah. raised capital. You pitched. Uh, why didn't you just try to bootstrap it and just, just you know, take the earnings that you made on each order and, and just put it back into the business? Like why did you? Yeah. I, th- I think you know, um, that's a great question. And um I don't know if I have a great answer, honestly, because, because honestly, I, I, I somewhat regret in many ways taking funding. I mean, I do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This calls over. (laughs) No, I'm I'm telling you, I I see, I think I told you that before. I think I might've told you this before. I, um, I, I think some funding is necessary, but 
I don't think we needed as much. No, just so you guys know, we didn't raise a ton of money. We raised, I think, $3.8 million all in. The whole business, the whole life cycle of the business, $3.8 million. We were always kind of towing the line of raising just enough but not raising too much. I think we still raised too much. I think by us going to Techstars, frankly, set us on a path where we we're in the mentality of doing raises. And there was a lot of good that came out of Techstars, a lot of good. I, I mean, I think the business was successful not necessarily because of Techstars, but because of the situation, well, I guess maybe the situation that Techstars put us in. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but it got us into that mentality of raising money. And frankly, we had a lot of offers for millions of dollars in VC funding after Techstars, and we didn't take it. We turned down all the big VCs. We ended up taking, I think, like a $700,000 round, primarily led by angels, like 80% of it. We didn't really have a traditional VC ever, um, and that was by, by design. But I think we could probably have raised less. I would say Techstars did help us in one major way. I would say this is the biggest way um, that they helped us. There was one meeting that they set up with us in Chicago. There's a company in Chicago called Jelly Vision. Are you, are you familiar with Jelly Vision? Yeah, totally. Okay. So they set us up with a meeting of, I think, the office manager or the marketing person, somebody in the Jelly Vision team. And we went to their office and we walked around and just kind of, at this time, it was me, Josh, and we had uh, Alyssa, who's our head of ops. She was still living at home. So it was me and Josh in Chicago. But we went walking around. Uh, the office, and we saw about like five, five to eight office managers, HR people sitting on the floor, unboxing things, relabeling things, writing note cards, doing all this stuff. And I felt like, why can't we just streamline this for customers? This is 2017, mind you. So instead of just because the traditional model for swag is you buy it in bulk and you send it to one address. If you're buying it from 20 different suppliers, everything gets sent to one office. You unbox it, you repackage it, you write your hand or a note card. And our feeling is simple kind of aha moment was what if we just streamlined the entire process? We warehoused it for them. We gave them the tools to distribute it to remote addresses. Um, Steven, in, in the pitch um, for fundraising for Techstars, I include that, the whole idea of swag kids, swag boxes distribution. We started building that out in 2017. We launched it a year later, 2019, when, the pet, when COVID hit and everyone was remote and the whole industry literally fell down 20 to 30%. We grew by 100%. The reason is we had this platform that could keep company culture thriving even when no one's in the office. We've been building it for two years. We never knew that COVID would literally make it everyone's remote. We thought it was just going to be a, a nice need to have for like marketing teams engaging with your, your best customers or teams engaging with the remote teams. But that wasn't still such a big thing. Now it's everybody. So we had this platform that is really designed for today's world that we were building two years before we even knew that it was going to be as valuable as it was. I'm going to propose something and I want everybody's opinion on this. There's a couple of reasons that I'm seeing, um, and this is like Mr. Hindsight here, um, that, that you guys grew, right? Obviously, you know, you and Josh are total hustlers, uh, the total definition of it. I incredible brand, incredible product. One thing I think that's overlooked here that shops in our space could take a tip from is you played in a niche. So you were solely focused on, on corporations that had money to spend. And my guess is um, that, you know, they're not nickel and diming you on little things. In fact, they probably want nicer stuff for their mm -hmm. team because that's just the vibe of their mm -hmm. culture and they want to spend and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you dive in and the reason I bring this up is because somebody else the other day was like, Hey, what are some of the things you hear from guests in the podcast where they grow beyond like a five, $10 million mark? And the immediate thing always comes to mind is they, 
at first, everybody starts, you do as many different things as possible just to get sales in. And then as the business gets bigger, it, it narrows in. I mean, remember we talked to, uh, uh, the booster enterprises, right? We've talked to people that are very specific in a, in one niche and you guys did that right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that narrowed in your marketing, your sales, your operations, like the way you thought about everything. You, you even narrowed your product curation, right? So like yes. you can send someone to your ASI website, but you're like, no, no, no. These are the 10 products. These are the 10 water bottles that they can buy. I remember buy. that's how I found that there was an SEO article. It was like we were looking for swag for our team for the holidays. And it was mm-hmm. like, what should we do or send or things like that? And there was a good blog post on it. But anyway, I, I bring that up because it seems like a such an overlooked aspect that, um, you know, staying focused in that area, although may seem like short term is turning away people that you could take money from, paid huge dividends later. Oh, 100%. We were so laser focused. I mean, we, I'm not going to say we weren't, we were perfect. There was a couple of customers that we took that we saw, we thought was a great opportunity. You know, have you guys heard of Zog Sports? Is that, is that a popular thing <laughs> in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Zog, Zog Sports is a, a huge in Northeast um, teams, like, you know, post-college people play softball and soccer. Uh, and like intramurals? Have, intramurals. It's huge. It's really legitimately massive. It's like a hundred million dollar plus company, even more at this point, big company. Our idea was what if we could win the Zog Sports customer and then print swag.com in the inner label and then and do it at cost, just use it as a marketing channel. And then every single person would see the quality and be, be like, this is amazing. Let's hundreds of thousands of kids who are now in the position of buying swag for their companies are now going to say, oh, Zog Sports uses them. We should use them and do it. It's like a marketing thing. As we went down that rabbit hole, we actually won the deal. And what happened is they wanted us to print on very poor quality stuff. So then it became like, well, are we going to want to print swag.com on the inner label of really ch- – I mean, they wanted to spend $2 a T-shirt, just to put in perspective. Ugh. Like it was nothing. It was garbage. So I'm like, I'm going to put swag.com on garbage stuff that's going to do the exact opposite. So then we said we're not going to do it on you – know, we're not going to put swag.com. So we're missing the whole marketing. We're only going to make like $0.10 cents per T-shirt, which could add up. But then we realized we had to package everything ourselves. And it was just me and Josh at the time. This is literally the first two months of the business. And we fired them. And we realized, like, you make these mistakes because you, you try to bring on as many customers in the early days. You want everything. You don't want to turn down anything. And you realize that's not the right thing. You need to focus exactly who your right buyer is. Even if you're losing, you conceptually losing money, not taking as much sales, you're ultimately you get your, play, your, your business in a much better place because you're building the right product. And you're not distracted. And after that kind of mess up with Zog Sports, we realized we got to be so focused on the B2B buyer. And whatever that means, like if there's, and we've had people like um, college kids come to us for like sororities and fraternities, it should be very easy. Just sell them, you know, instead of 24 t-shirts, sell them 12 t-shirts. We never allowed that. We want to be so focused and be like, a hundred percent for B2B. And that doesn't mean we're not going to ever get there. But when you're two people, three people, five people, 10 people, you got to pick and choose, you know, what the feature set you're offering and what kind of customers you want to deal with. Like I didn't want to deal with back and forth emails with a college kid to do a design. That's going to be a problematic. I'd rather a business buy a thousand t-shirts, have their logo in EPS or AI, you know, really nicely high quality image and let things streamline and go through the process. Very simple. So like every aspect of our business, we figured out like, can we like a team of five? Can we handle $30,000 a day? Like how can we handle $30,000 a day in sales with a team of five? You know, now we're doing, you know, 200,000 or so a day at this point. So things are, are bigger. We have a bigger team that can handle it. But in the beginning, you have to really be super focused on, on who the right buyer is. 
So it's like it's like saying yes to everything, but then at first, and then you're dialing it back, and you're being okay. Well, that's bad. As but I think you possible. have to be you have to be able to like say no to it after a while. You I I, I hear about a lot of shops like oh yeah we've just been doing that for a long time and it doesn't make us any money or oh yeah we've been doing that or oh yeah we take but like really like you have to you have to make your business defensible because that's mm-hmm. the stuff that eats you alive. Bruce, what was the other side of it? So you said one side was like of uh, super narrow scope. What was the other one? Do you remember? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was, I think, I think it was huge, but wait, wait. So last year yeah. I see in this article, 2021 scaling to maybe that'll come to me and then I'll, I'll bring, I'll stop everybody <laughs> um, scaling to 30 later. million in sales of this model. Yeah. First of all, congrats. That's, uh, you know, absolutely amazing after six or so years. Um, so can you can you riff real quick as to list as many things as you can think of of maybe pivotal moments in your business? We we love pivotal moments because I think those are like good takeaways. Um, maybe mistakes, just just things that help bend the curve. Could be up, could be down. Are you not wearing your mask ever because you're like hell yeah, COVID? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Actually, no, very very small percentage. Oh yeah, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a kind of weird thing because our sales did fall off the face of the earth. And I'll tell you, I guess the high level, first biggest pivotal moment was getting the domain name, you know, and working out that kind of creative deal to get okay. it. Okay, domain, first one. Um, second thing was getting those early customers, as we talked about, Facebook and WeWork and Bravo, et cetera, so we get the social proof. Um, the third thing was learning from customers. We spoke to over 500 customers in that first year. Literally, Josh and I used to walk up and down the WeWork hallways, knocking on doors and asking who buys swag so we could understand and literally had conversations, face-to-face conversations, which is frankly uncomfortable for most people. But for us, it was just – we had the mentality of this is just learning, right? We're all just – we're all about learning here. So that was the next thing of what – who's the right buyer and what's Three, the right knocking on doors. Knocking on doors. Um, the fourth thing was once we launched the platform – you know, being okay with it not working out from day one. I think just the mentality shift of launching something and literally know the, the most obvious thing is that it's not going to work. And we have a swag box initiative that uh, we, we launched seven different iterations over the last three years for this to make it really streamlined and automated. There's no other company that is able to buy swag boxes without talking to a rep where they can upload their logos, mock it up, design it by multiple boxes at the same time, check out pay for it, have it all done. There's no other place to do it. And we want to give the self-serve ability, just like you're buying a thousand t-shirts and uploading your logo. We want you to be able to buy 10,000 boxes with seven different products inside and customer and note card without having to talk to a rep. It took us seven iterations to get there. But if we had the mentality that once we launched something, it wouldn't work, we would never have gotten there. Now we did over $10 million of sales last year on boxes alone. So like being okay to launch things, not work, learn from it, pivot, keep building and launching. I would say that's kind of like a really, a really big thing. Obviously, the Jelly Vision meeting that got us into the mindset of swag distribution and how that all works and that we should start getting on top of that and building that, having that platform to be able to really win. Now, when COVID hit, just to put in perspective, it was very, very, very scary. It wasn't like an obvious thing like, oh, COVID, yes, we're going to win this. It was March we did about <laughs> yeah, literally, I mean, February we did about 850,000 of sales. Okay, just from perspective, March comes, we did 350,000 of sales. So we just hired people. We're scaling up. Not only 350,000 sales in March, out of the 850, I think like 200,000 of it had to be refunded because they bought it for trade shows and events that were now canceled. 
So you go from thinking you're at a break even or making a little bit of money on the per month, and now we're burning cash like crazy. And we were never a business to raise a ton of money. As I said before, we only raised $3.8 million over the course of the business. And that included a raise during COVID to kind of shore up things. At the same time, everybody is telling us that we should let go of half the team. We should cut back. We should hunker down. Like that was the mentality. So not only are we living in my parents' parents' house because I think I have New York City where it's like the epicenter of COVID. My wife's pregnant. Business is somewhat failing. It's like cut in half. And now you're getting all these kind of people who are bystanders who are not in the arena or investor saying, cut your whole team, hunker down and survive it. It's not a very good place to be, if you can imagine. And our strategy was, no, everyone's going to do that. But we have a great platform that could you know, survive, not only survive, but thrive during this period. We redesigned our homepage. We redesigned our branding. We made the swag distribution the foremost thing. We went all in on your team is now remote. Connect to your team. Keep the company culture thriving. Engage with your remote employees. Engage with your best customers. Engage with leads to close sales. Everything shifted to swag distribution. Whole industry dropped 25, 30%. We grew 100%. But it took us about three months of 350,000, 350,000, 350,000 before we could really scale up. And we ended up doing nearly 5 million uh, in November of last year. Wow. In the 20th, yeah. Do you think that's what prompted the acquisition? I think a couple of things, probably. I think. Our platform is very fast growing in general. So, you know, next year will be probably the number 35 biggest promotional uh, distributor in the world. I think there's 30,000 distributors. So if you think about starting a business at ground zero, right? There's 30,000 people selling promotional products. They come out every year with a top 40 list. Um, if we do what we hope to do this year, break 50 million of sales, we're going to be like number 35 or number 32 in that, in that range. So you see a company scaling up very quickly. Um, you see a brand that's a very powerful brand that's appealing to today's buyers. Um, you add on top of the innovation that we're consistently launching in the space with swag distribution. We have integrations to our API, to Zapier, allowing people to automate the distribution for different things, to do company giveaways where you could collect T-shirt sizes, address, and you know, select a notebook or a pen, speaks to our system to distribute it. We have a very robust swag inventory management platform where you can have like the marketing team that the marketing people get access to. Think of it as like a Google Doc or the sales team. They have you know, just the sales team or the HR team. You get different departments, different budgets, approvals, permission settings, all these things we built out and it's all super connected to the e-commerce experience. There's just no friction whatsoever. So you could buy swag, send it in bulk to your office or warehouse it with us. And then once it's warehouse, you can distribute to a thousand different addresses at once. So I think all of these kinds of innovation that we're building and how fast we're growing, I think got them excited. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to know. I think with custom ink also, to me, they're the leader in, in the consumer charities organizations. Um, I believe we're going to be the leader in the B2B business. So if you combine forces of the biggest and best to consumer, and you combine forces of the best B2B that's scaling quickly, and you could synergize a lot of things in the back end in terms of like operational improvements, cost efficiency, shipping, like all these things that they've spent 22 years plus refining and working through, they could make us way more streamlined and get kind of like the benefits of scale. Jeremy, what's it like to work with them? So like you went from now like running everything, being CEO to like being under their umbrella, what's that like? Yeah, it's, it's been really great. You know, Mark Katz, you know, it was, it was hard to have such a long conversation and dialogue before the deal closed. 
But at the same time, the flip side of that, it got us to really know Mark and like Mark and respect him. So by the time the deal closed, it wasn't like, what's going to happen now? We understood exactly what the layout was going to be and how we're going to work together. So we got kind of worked through all those kinks before we pulled the trigger and said, yes, we're going to sell. Um, Swag.com is a is 100% independent. Our whole team runs Swag.com. I'm still the CEO of Swag.com. Our brand is Swag.com. But we're constantly thinking of ways in the background to kind of, you know, we're on their shipping rates now. So we have much better shipping rates. We, we buy from their same suppliers. We have better, you know, bulk ordering. It's like doing small things without affecting our growth and the ability to scale and adapt and pivot. So still being not like um, entrepreneurial and startup focused, but also having a lot of the scale that they have. It's like, it's kind of like a, a working to get there. And so like custom Inc has acquired a couple other companies recently. Are they on a tear right now to just buy up real like space or are they really looking for niche companies? Like, uh, what do I have to do in the next 24? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They bought, they bought perfection for the same reason. Perfection is somebody in our space. They do things a little bit differently. They're more, um, enterprise. You know, we have enterprise customers, but perfection is all enterprise. You know, like their customers are spending hundreds of thousands a year plus, they don't have like we have customers who spend a thousand dollars, two thousand, five thousand, a hundred thousand, fifty thousand. They're all over and they're very focused on the B2B buyer. Perfection is very enterprise scale and they have like a monthly membership fee and there's no really commerce experience. So they're 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 going into the mindset of let's just build, get the smartest people in the industry who are doing things in a unique way, who have proven success over several years that they could do it, and let's combine resources and let's build the best, you know, universal business that could become the de facto leader and winner in this industry. I mean, I think that's their, their perspective. Okay. Final question for you, Jeremy. Where, where would you say the opportunity is then going in this space? So you, you guys applied technology to this space and really blew it out of the water. You, you got very niche into on the B2B side. Um, and by the way, if folks don't know that's business to business uh, and uh, D2C, direct to consumer, just... Um, you know, I, I don't know if B2B okay. is more of like a SaaS thing or not, but anyway, um, like where, where would you say if you were, let's just theoretical, you were starting again, same space. Where did you see in your journey? You were like, Whoa, there's a big opportunity of doing this in this space or something else over there. Yeah. It's, um, I think we did it right. And just so you know, guys, it wasn't like some ideas have come over time. Like just today, even like an hour ago, we launched a new feature on our site called Super Speed Boxes. So boxes typically take about 40 days to produce. Last year, we turned around, we turned down about $3 million of Q4 business because somebody, Facebook comes to us with a budget. They have a, an in-hand date. They have a use case. They want to spend it on swag, but they come to us December 10th and they want it to be delivered to their recipients by, this, by Christmas time. Right, just not possible. So we turn them away. Now, what happens when we turn them away, they're not finding another swag company to do it because no swag company can do boxes faster. So what they do is they buy you know, gift cards or you know, ice cream or cupcakes for their team. They, they buy other gifting things that are not swag related. So we were just losing a lot of business and we then had to win that customer back the next year when they want to buy. So we just launched an initiative called Super Speed Box today where our site's very curated. We even curated it further by specific products, and we've about 61 so far, where we're able to produce it within five days production, much, much faster. And we could do this mm-hmm. because we work with all of our best suppliers. We really made sure it's the best suppliers that instead of taking you know two or three days to do mock-ups, they have to do it within 12 hours. Instead of printing it in five days, they have to print it one day for this curated offering. 
people can now build boxes in 10 to 15 days. So we're never going to miss out in Q4 on people wanting to buy something that they can't buy. Those kind of ideas come over time. But the big kind of robust map of like the vision, first start e-commerce, then upsell people to inventory, then allow people to do boxes and hold an inventory, then allow people to make distributions where every single packing slips is powered by swag.com. So all of our customers are marketing our platform, whether it's the t-shirt inside the inner label or it's the actual shipment itself that says powered by swag.com. Having an API and Zapier integrations to automate the distribution of swag. We're launching next month the Shopify plugin that people can launch you know, a Shopify store with the products they buy on their site. So they could buy mugs, t-shirts, water bottles, connect it easily to Shopify and sell whatever they want on that where it pings our system and we just do the distribution. All of these have kind of been on the roadmap. And over time, you keep adding small things here and there that you're learning directly from customers that maybe could take priority or they'll make the experience a little bit better. So I think we're kind of entering this world of swag automation that we're just getting started in. But I think it's really going to be a huge thing. Speedy swag. Somebody... Swagimation comp. You know, yep. you know, this is yep. kind of similar Dream to force. remember fair when we were riffing on what is the um, sticker mule of different like other spaces, Love right? Where it's mule. like sticker mule has simplified the ordering of just like drag it in. Boom. You get a text message of art somehow in like five minutes and then you hit order and your stuff comes pretty quick. You know, it's like the sticker mule of swag boxes and, and, and everything else. That's really cool. All right, Jeremy. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I really Thanks appreciate for the time. Me. Great to connect uh, Stephen again and Bruce. Great to meet you, I think, officially. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. This is Jeremy Parker from swag.com. I appreciate it. Sweet. We'll see you guys in the next episode of Printavo Pronounces Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo, Mr. Stephen Farragut out of Campus Inc., and Jeremy Parker. A post show. All right, Jeremy had to go, but I don't know if this. I don't know if we should do a post show. Let Let's just try and just talk about this because I think this is very interesting. Um, that was cool. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Is there anything that we feel like we didn't dive into, or that it was still? I mean, there's a lot of interesting things operationally. Like, can you imagine managing and brokering off? Uh, I mean, the process is very dialed in clearly, or it appears it between these different suppliers. I mean, there's so many products. If you look but, on the but site, when he was first when he was first starting out, right? When he was first starting out, he only had these are my favorite five water bottles that we sell. Yeah. And it must have been because he's like, I know I can get these. They're really high quality. I have really good deals on them. Um and and they're going to be good, right? Cuz like when you order promo products, you always like Eh, is that going to be okay? What's the quality of that? How's that mug going to look? Yeah. And it's like, if you just spend... He curated uh, it. And, and I think that's actually really important for shops listening. Like, I don't like sending shops our entire catalog because then they start digging and they're like, what about this? I'm like, I've never ordered that before. What about this? Well, is this available in a tri-blend? And I'm like, look, this is good, better, best. These are the three t-shirts yeah. that I recommend you use, you know? Um, these are the colors that they're in and we will do it for you. Um, because I think the second you start giving the customers the autonomy to be the decision makers, then they're shoppers and not clients, right? It's kind of like, like, well, there's like, once an they over, turn into your- there's just too many options. It's hard. Like when you go to a store or something and you're looking at any product that you've never bought before. And you see a whole row of stuff. It's like, whoa, what the heck? What what is this compared to this compared to this? But I, but I think there's there's a difference between shoppers and clients, 
right? Like there's sh- there's people that shop and customers that are browsing and they're like doing their own research. And then there's like clients that trust who they're working with. Yeah. Right. And I think one thing that they made really evident is they turn their customers into clients. Um, and that built trust because their premise was we only pick good products. You don't have to worry about the crap that's out there. You can trust us and you're going to pay a little bit more, but this stuff's going to be way nicer and you're not going to have to worry. I mean, Bruce, don't you always worry when you buy something off SNS and you get it for your whole team and it doesn't fit them? It's happened probably 50% of the time, actually. Because you and always check out weird shit. <laughs> well, it's because I see something that I'm like, wow, that looks really cool at, you know, Lululemon or something like that or, or Target. And and then you, you try to find a, a provider for it. And it's just not always the right cut or, or color is different. Or it's just hard. But you're right. I mean, the curating the products like Chipotle, right? It's just like chicken steak or, or whatever. Um, and you pick from each column and then you move forward and he reduced that. I, I think there's something so big too on that niche <clears throat> because it allowed him to do that. Like it's probably harder to do this in other spaces, but for this one, at least it was, uh, these companies have money to spend and they want to make it easy and they want quality and, and, and I, and I think there's there's one thing also like they want it off their desk. Yeah. Like no one is assigned to be the person to buy gifts for everyone in the office. So like when that person takes it on themselves, the office manager, that's one less thing they want to worry about, right? But I think the other thing that I learned was like they obviously have a insanely nice website and you can automate everything and unless you're a shop that has millions of dollars to invest in tech, you're never going to have a website like that, like plain and simple. So the next best thing you can do is simplify it so much so that like it's good, it's clean, it's credible. And then your people are the technology, Mm -hmm. right? So if you can't afford a $200,000 website, but you can afford to have two $25 an hour employees, there's no reason why they can't be great at communication, simplifying, curating, placing orders for, for office managers or whatever that may be. I think you don't need, like while there is crazy technology, you also don't need it um, to be successful. You know, uh, it, it's like, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Because like I get shops that hit me up all the time. Like, how do I get this website built? Like, you're not going to get it. <laughs> Plain and simple. It's just not going to happen, right? I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that for shop owners? They're like, well, how do I compete with this? Yeah. I mean, they, they competed just like we talk about as, as on the service side. I mean, they were there, they were, they were the fastest. They, they gave the best quality. They, they helped curate stuff. Um, and then once they built the process and once they had the foundation, then they made it more efficient with investing in technology. And so it, it just can't go the other way around. There's always this myth of the tech will magically fix my problem, but I think it just exaggerates it. it it's like, it, it just blows up whatever problem or process that you're having. It just speeds it up. <laughs> and so it yeah. winds it up tighter. So now I don't think they're perfect. I'm sure they have constant supply problems and people problems that everybody else has, but 
from the customer perspective, at least they, they made it easy for them and they met the customer where they're at. They used apparel as the bridge to what the end customer wants. And you see that with this swag box, right? It's genius. I mean, it's the same thing that we deal with now with new hires, right? New hire or partner or somebody we want to send stuff out to. How do we be able to do that? How do we do it quickly? Do we, do I just have a bunch of boxes here? You know, how does all that work? And they really dialed it in and no big company wants to have one person managing that. So super nice website. Yeah. All right. That was cool. All right, gang. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys in the next week and get some other really cool guests lined up. Sweet. Talk soon.